distracted by that. Um, I did mention that we are welcoming David this morning, so I'd love to invite David and also Sue to come up to the front. Is this one working as well? Lovely. You don't know that, Gita. It's me that's got the switch. Um, So I just wanted to ask Sue, first of all, um, when I first came to St. John's, um, I heard this term, walk. And uh, what did that actually, what is this, what is this walk? Um, Walk. Hold it nice and clear. What is the World Outreach Committee, which um, I'm sure many of you have heard me speak about before. Um, and we, we give 10% of the money that you provide to the church away, uh, of the unrestricted money that's not set aside for other things. We give it away to charities, organizations, and individuals um, that are Christian organizations. Um, we have mission partners around the world. We have uh, two main mission partners at the moment. Uh, one in the, the Robinsons in Thailand, and Dave Buchlis, who is going to be coming to speak shortly here, uh, working for Arosha. Um, and we also support a whole load of organizations, including WellFound, um, which we're going to hear a lot more about, but Christian organizations working around the world in different spheres. We try and get a range of organizations. One's looking after children, one's looking after the environment, one's looking after people. Um, and so... We're there to try and help wherever we can. And the money that you give to St. John's, as I say, 10% of it is going to what we're doing. So it's vitally important. And so thank you for all that you give. And sometimes there are prayer topics, aren't they, in the news? That's good. Yes. And uh, you'll see at the end of Sam's letter all the time, he asks for prayer. And we do, we do hope that you will pray for those um, organizations and people we support um, who desperately need your, your prayers, working all around the world in difficult places. So I'll, I'll leave Sue to talk to David. Do have your microphone on. Yes, I hope so. Super duper. David, tell me a little bit about the work of WellFound. Okay, well, thank you very much. We're, uh, we're a local charity. We're your neighbours just up the road in Greenford. Uh, but we work in West Africa, specifically in two countries, Guinea-Bissau and Sierra Leone. I'll be saying a lot more about that a bit later on, but we do water and sanitation work, which really means that we try to provide clean drinking water, which is really a basic human right to those people who don't have it for whatever reason. And there's two things that we're particularly interested in. We don't just provide water, but we aim to do that in a sustainable way so that when we move on, the people can can still have access to water and look after the source themselves. And secondly, we're really interested in in what that then unlocks in terms of empowering people really to take charge of their lives and to transform their own lives. How did you you get involved? in? It's it's a good question. My career was nothing at all to do with water and sanitation work. Um, But I go to the same church as a gentleman called Howard Meesham. Some of you will have heard of Howard. I'll talk about him in a moment. He's the founder of WellFound, a very, very persuasive character. Um, some of you will know that. And when, when I gave up work, he'd obviously got his eye on me, and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, come and get involved in WellFound. So I, I actually went out to Guinea-Bissau. Uh, I met some of the people there, lovely people, but living in really, really bad conditions. Uh, and I just thought I can do something to help here. So that's how I got involved. 
And what did you do before? before well, I worked for BT, many of you will have heard of BT, uh, actually in cybersecurity. Uh, and you'll say cybersecurity has nothing at all to do with wells and, and water. Um, you, you'd be half right. Uh, a lot about cybersecurity is changing people's behavior, changing people's attitude, and changing how an organization works. Uh, and actually, hopefully, I'll illustrate providing fresh water and making it particularly sustainable has a lot of parallels with that. So I'm, I am using a bit of what I used to do. Thank you. And thank you. And we, we look forward very much to hearing what you have to say. And thank you. Um, can I just say, uh, as part of WOC, if any of you are interested in being part of the WOC committee, please do come and see me. Or if you have ideas for organizations um, that we could support, also please come and see me. We would love new blood on the WOC committee. But we look forward to hearing what you have to say, David. And thank you very much for coming thank this morning. You. And for your other trustee who's here as well. Thank you. Yes, I'll introduce them in a moment. So we're going to have the reading first, I think. <clears throat> the reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Brilliant. Thank you for that. And thank you all very much for your welcome. Uh, we've had a very, very warm welcome here this morning. Let me just introduce, so Kate Horn is with me. Kate is one of the other trustees uh, of Wellfound. Uh, and my wife, Linda. Linda's not a trustee, but she knows a lot about Wellfound because she listens to me. At least some of the time. So uh, we'll, we'll all be around at the end. Uh, if you've got any questions or, or like to talk to us, please pick one of us three. So it, it's so good, isn't it, to meet to, together as the family of God. Really appreciated the worship this morning uh, and the communion together. Uh, and I'd just like to start by saying thank you for your support of Wellfound. Uh, this church has faithfully supported Wellfound now for several years. We really are very grateful for that. Uh, and some of the work that you'll see on the screen behind when I get onto that, that, that's where your money has been going. So hopefully by the end you'll see you really have been supporting a very worthwhile cause and activity. Now wh when we received the request to speak this morning, uh, we thought it was just a sort of regular request, come along and talk about Wellfound, which of course we're delighted to do. So I phoned up Sam and he said, well, actually we want you to do the sermon. And, and I thought... Ah, ah. But then, uh, then by one of those amazing God coincidences, we looked at the passage uh, that we've just had read and realized just how relevant this is to some of the work that, that Wellfound does, which hopefully I'll, I'll bring out. So um, if, if you can just put up that passage again on the screen, please. 
th- this is a fabulous passage, isn't it? There's, there's so much in it. it. It really gives us a picture of what life in the early church was like. Uh, and I find it so encouraging, really. Uh, th- there's quite a few things that come out of this for me. First of all is the simplicity of what they're talking about here. Just four things that we really need to concentrate on in our life together. They talk about learning together, having fellowship together, sharing communion together, and praying together. Straightforward, isn't it? I know life sometimes gets a bit more complicated than that, but underlying it all, that is a picture of church life together and our fellowship together. And it it really says several things to me. One of the the things that, that really leaps out is just how authentic and real this is. Nobody appeared to be involved in this for show or for status or to to gain a position and so on. This is just simple life together. And there's a sense of peace in there as well that I'm sure we're all searching for or seeking of being right with God when it talks about having glad and sincere hearts. Wonderful thing to have peace with God. Uh, And then, of course, there's that fantastic bit at the end where God is at work in their midst adding to their numbers daily. So just, just in that short passage, I get this really encouraging picture of, of what life together as, as fellow believers, fellow brothers and sisters can be like. Uh, and of course, people more qualified than me could speak uh, for hours on any one of those particular topics. There's whole sermons in here uh, on fellowship, on communion, on sharing together, praying together. But I'd I'd really like to concentrate today just on one phrase, and it's that one, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And I'm going to use that to tell the story of Wellfound. So we don't normally explain Wellfound like this, but I'm going to talk about it from the viewpoint, first of all, of some of the people involved. And I'm not claiming that that Wellfound gets everything right, not not by a long way. We are made of humans just like any other organisation, but... Hopefully you'll see this just shows what God can do when people start to give of what they have. So, uh, next slide, please. So hopefully you can see that, and I think it should be coming up on the big screens there. This is the man I mentioned earlier. This is Howard Meesham. So this Howard is the founder of Wellfound, and this this is a picture taken back in 2016 uh, on a very remote island about 40 miles off the coast of Guinea-Bissau which is part of the bit of Africa which is sticking right out into the Atlantic Ocean. So Howard in this picture was 85 years old. So Howard is now 91 years old. I think he's 92 this year. And he's still active. He's, he's planning, in fact, on going out to Senegal uh, in a few weeks' time. So he's got more energy than me. Um, and he's at least 30 years older than me. Um, he founded Wellfound in, in 2005, when he was 74. Now, of course, he's been blessed with good health. I understand and appreciate that not everybody, even at my age, has health and energy like Howard does. Um, But he could have just sat with his feet up when he retired. But actually, he's devoted his life uh, to this particular cause. So let let me just tell you Howard's story. Uh, And that's going to illustrate some of the points in that, that reading. So Howard was a local businessman in Greenford. And from very, very humble beginnings, he used to repair bikes in the Second World War. That's how old he is. That's how he started his business. And he built up from that to running uh, three car dealerships uh, in Greenford. Um, He had the showrooms. 
Uh, and when he bought the showrooms, he brought the properties above. Now, we've heard a, a little bit about the dangers of property ownership in that, that previous slot about the, the shops. I'm going to try and steer this in, a, in another direction now about the benefits of, of property ownership. Um, and, and he was, in human terms, a very successful local businessman. He brought himself up from nothing, and, and he was successful. He wasn't a Christian, um, and this is where the sad part of the story comes in. When he uh, was coming up to retirement, his wife fell ill, seriously ill. And he did think, I've got the money. I can get the best doctors, the best hospital. I can save my wife. And you know where this story's going. Very sadly, she died. And that wasn't the point at which he became a Christian. But I think that was probably the point where God started knocking on the door of his heart uh, and saying, let me in. And several years later, he did become a Christian. He was baptized in his early 70s. And t typical of Howard, his first question of God was, what should I do now? And the answer came in a very interesting way. Uh, we've heard already that, that your church has links with missionary families overseas. Well, our church does as well. And in fact, we're, we're very close to somebody in Romania that worked with gypsy families over there, and this person was coming to our church to speak, just like you've got a speaker coming in a few weeks, and needed somewhere to stay. And Howard was asked to put this man up. Uh, and of course, over breakfast, he said, he explained the conditions the gypsies were living in, in Romania, and said to Howard, you're an engineer, come and see how you can help. And that was really the start of, of, of Wellfound. He went out, he saw the need for fresh water in Romania, and, and he started to do what he could uh, to, to fulfill that need. And that was when he founded Wellfound. And th this is where the, the property bit comes in as well. Um, because he wanted to set up a charity that was on a very sound financial footing. So I said before, he owned property. It was all the property above his showrooms. He gave that to Wellfound. So Wellfound now has that property, which we rent out. And the rental income from that pays for the running of Wellfound. So when, when, when we say, and you'll see this in our literature, when, whenever you give us money, 100% goes to the work in, in Guinea-Bissau and Sierra Leone. That's how we do it, because of Howard's gift. He, was, he didn't sell his possessions, he just gave them away uh, to Wellfound. Anyway, um, that was Romania. Romania then joined the European Union, uh, and all sorts of aid money started flooding in. So he started to look again for where the, the next mission field was for Wellfound. Same thing happened again. We had a visit from a couple of missionaries who lived in Senegal. Uh, and they said the same thing. If you think Romania was bad, come and see what it's like in, in West Africa. So he went out to look. Guinea-Bissau is the next country down from, from Senegal. And that's how he got into Guinea-Bissau. And then a few years later into Sierra Leone, just a bit further down the coast. Now, you might all think that's, that's all very interesting. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't have property to give away. I couldn't do what Howard's done. So, so let me just tell the story of a couple of the other people in Wellfound. If you can go on to the next slide, please. So this is the team in Sierra Leone. Um, we only employ one person in the UK. We're, even though we're a UK-based charity, we primarily have people uh, in the two countries where we're working. So this is the Sierra Leone team. And on the uh, extreme left is a guy called Andrew. So Andrew is the leader of that particular team, and he is the pastor of a small church in Freetown, which is the capital of Sierra Leone. But he devotes his week to Wellfound. He could live relatively comfortably in the capital, 
but instead he chooses to live simply uh, in quite challenging conditions right out in the bush where we work. I'll show you some photos later uh, because of his motivation to help his fellow men and women. So he's not giving of his possessions, he's actually giving of his time uh, and himself. Same story in Guinea-Bissau. If you go on to the next slide, please. So the gentleman on the right is is the leader of the team in in Guinea-Bissau. That's a man called Joao. Joao is a lovely Christian. In fact, he really loves Chris Tomlin songs. And I noticed we sang a Chris Tomlin song. I've had that on the the radio, the 4x4, driving down very, very remote roads in Guinea-Bissau, singing, Our God is Greater. Um, For some reason, Joao only listens to Chris Tomlin, but he is a lovely Christian man. Um, But Joao, um, he's qualified to train people in the use of Microsoft Office. He's got the... um, uh, the permission to live in in Spain if he wanted to. But he chooses to work in his home country. He's from one of the remote villages in Guinea-Bissau. And a bit like Andrew, he's motivated to help his fellow countrymen and women. So once again, that's somebody who is sacrificing a lot uh, because of what he believes in. And they work in very challenging conditions. So if you can go on to the next slide, please. Uh, This is the road down to where we work in Sierra Leone. Uh, Both of these countries have a rainy season, so for three months of the year it will absolutely pour with rain. And this is the road several weeks after that. You may not be able to see it very well on there, but it's it's thick mud. Uh, Typically, it takes us about six hours to drive from Preetown, the capital, down to where we work. Uh, In conditions like this, it will take up to 12 hours, uh, and there's a lot of getting stuck digging the uh, the 4x4 out. Um, if you go on to the next slide, once again, th- this is a road in Sierra Leone. That is a road. It's just incredibly overgrown. Uh, that's a, a photo that I took. Um, and you drive down this road, and suddenly you come to the end, and it's the Atlantic Ocean. And I must say, it seemed like the re- most remote place I'd ever been to. Um, but that's a choice of welfare, and we choose to work in the remotest places of these countries where there are very few, if any, other charities working um, because we just feel compelled to take support to the people who have to live in those conditions. So that, that's some of the physical conditions that people like Shuao and Andrew are facing. They're, they're also facing, uh, particularly in the case of Guinea-Bissau, a very uncertain political environment. Uh, it doesn't get into the news much here, uh, but there was a, a coup, uh, a, a failed coup about three months ago uh, in Guinea-Bissau. Soldiers on the streets, gunfire in the in the capital, and so on. Um, they're certainly facing big challenges with the cost of living, uh, with inflation. Uh, we're having to uh, throttle back on on the travel that we do because of the price of petrol uh, is just uh, astronomical uh, out there. So. These people, uh, and I'll finish my kind of introduction to Wellfound at this point and then go on to the work that we do, but I just want to illustrate that passage uh, about what it means to sell possessions, to give up what what you can have access to uh, and use that actually in God's work to help other people. So hopefully that's been useful just to illustrate that through the story of Howard, Andrew and Joao. Let's go on to why we actually do the work that we do. So this is um, 
a typical water source. This is in one of the islands off the coast of Guinea-Bissau. Uh, and hopefully you can see on there, well, that, that green patch at the back is the water. So, so there is water there. As I say, it's, it's uh, a climate where there is monsoon rain for three months of the year. And so the water collects in pools like that. But obviously, pretty soon it gets stagnant. It gets very dirty. Uh, if you or I drank that, we would be extremely sick uh, very quickly. Uh, and yet, that's the, that's the water source that these people are, are drinking. They have to drink that. Uh, and not only they have to drink it, but they have to give it to their children as well. So there are very, very high rates of infant mor uh, mortality through to getting sick, through drinking water like that, and all the diseases that come along with it. If you can go on to the next slide. Th th this is another water pit, uh, also in Guinea-Bissau. Uh, and and the, the fact that you can get very ill by drinking this water, that's the obvious risk. That's the obvious danger. But there, there's other dangers as well. So a pit like that, uh, an animal can easily fall into it, or a snake. So quite often you find snakes at the bottom of these things, uh, and obviously that requires a, a huge amount of caution. Um, I've seen pits like this where the children are left to guard the pit uh, every day uh, just to stop any animal either coming along and pooing in it or uh, falling in it or, or anything like that. And of course, if the children are guarding the pits all day, they're not going to school. So it has knock-on ramifications, quite major uh, knock-on ramifications. And we had, a, we had a story recently, a very, very sad story, uh, a pit like that uh, actually in, uh, once again in Guinea-Bissau, in the, in the rainy season, these, of course, fill right to the brim with water. And it's very, very hard to see where the pit actually is. Uh, and a teenage girl, I think she was 13, didn't know the pit was there, fell in it uh, and drowned. So it, it just gives an indication, really, that apart from the disease uh, and the risk of disease, there are many, many other risks and dangers from having a water source like that. Next slide, please. Uh, and one of the other things, I'm sure you may well have heard this, um, in, in the villages there, it's typically the women and the children who, whose role it is, whose job it is to go and fetch the water, typically walking several miles a day, uh, once in the morning in the cool, once in the evening uh, in the cool. Uh, and if you imagine walking several miles holding gallon buckets of water, two gallon buckets of water, uh, a lot of osteoporosis, a lot of... Um, you know, degeneration, of, of particularly if people are carrying it on their heads, a lot of neck problems uh, caused by that. So that, that's the kind of motivation for us doing the work. That's the, the conditions that, that these people are unfortunately having to, to live in. So you're probably thinking the next slide is going to be a well. Well, it's not, because there's a very important bit before we get there. So, so this is, in a sense, one of the most important Slides. We always say that actually finding the water itself is relatively easy. If you've got the money, uh, you can drill a well, you go down about 20 or 30 meters in that part of the world, and you will find the water. That's relatively easy. But I said in the, uh, in the interview that we're very, very interested in sustainability. So one of the most important things we do is we, we aim to form a partnership with the village so that it's actually seen as a joint project. Uh, and there's ownership by the villagers as well as contribution by us. 
Uh, and what you see here, um, that's Howard again. It, we, it just happened to be Howard because he happened to be visiting the country at the time. But by and large, as I say, we rely on the local teams there to do this, uh, which is very important for us because they understand how people live, they understand the culture, how things happen over there. But we would typically start our engagement with a village with a meeting like this. Uh, and we'd aim to agree a set of principles. So the first thing is that it's a partnership. Um, when there's manual work to be done, people from the village will be doing that uh, alongside us. Within reason, people from the village will decide where the well goes. It's their well. It's not our well. Um, one of the things that we're very, very keen to do is make sure the well goes on common ground. We wouldn't want it to go on private ground because then it can get fenced off and somebody may wish to start charging for access for water. And that's not the, the position that we would support. We, uh, we encourage the village to elect a, a committee, uh, a team who will actually uh, run the project uh, and administer the well. And we also ask for people to be chosen who we will train in the maintenance of the well. So all of that is, is designed to, to make uh, an environment, uh, a project which is going to be sustainable because what we want is when we move out of that village, the, the well is owned and looked after and that the people have the wherewithal to actually maintain it and keep it running in, in the years to come. That's really, really important to us. And if we agree all of that, then the drilling can start. So if you go on to the, the next slide, another part of the sustainability is that we train local people to actually do the drilling. Uh, we provide the equipment, we provide the drill and so on. We provide some of the technical know-how as to how to actually drill. But the, the manual work uh, is done by the team. This is the team in Sierra Leone. Um, I should just mention the, the guy second left in the white shirt. He is the only UK employee that we have. That's our CEO, uh, a gentleman called Kingsley, um, who travels out there, uh, supports the team, and, and so on. Um, but the, the rest of the people on that, uh, that particular photo are the local Sierra Leone drilling team. Really, really enthusiastic uh, team. Lovely group of people. So in a moment, uh, just to warn the, the technical people, we're going to have a short video. Uh, just before we play that, just to say a, a few words about uh, what you're going to see. So th this is really illustrating some of the results of the work that we do. And we're trying to tell the story again through people and the impact it's had on, on people. So you're going to see three people um, in a village called Chocola, which is in Sierra Leone. Uh, so a lady called Yema, uh, a young lad called Emmanuel, uh, and a girl called Isata. They're, they're all speaking in the local language. You may be able to pick out some of the words they're saying uh, because it's a local language based on, on English. Um, but the Sierra Leone team have put subtitles on, so... Hopefully you'll you'll get a picture of what's happening. So let's play the video.
I find that quite moving, actually, particularly the, uh, the young lad talking about living with his grandmother. So uh, if you can go on to the, the next slide. So, so that, that is some of the impact of having water, uh, access to fresh water uh, on these people. But you'll, you'll notice that both the young lad, Emmanuel, and the girl, Isata, were asking for something more. So Emmanuel was talking about how poor his grandmother was, uh, and the young girl was talking about, can we have a school, can we have food, and so on. Uh, and this is the bit I was talking about at the start. We're very keen now on the, the fact that they have access to fresh water, how that can start to transform their lives uh, and empower them to actually take charge of their lives. That, that's very, very important for us. So uh, one of the things that, that we do, uh, one of the things that we noticed was that obviously if the women in particular are not having to travel uh, and walk morning and night to fetch water, they have time. Uh, and we encourage them to set up a market garden. So you can think of this as an allotment, but it's huge, 50 metres by 50 metres, fenced off to stop the animals trampling the, uh, the produce and so on. So what you're seeing here on the, uh, the top left, it's the market garden in a village called Cali uh, in Guinea-Bissau. Uh, and you can see in the back the water tank. Uh, this is actually a solar-powered system, so it's constantly filling up that water tank. Uh, and you can see it's piped through into the into the market garden, so they've got access to water, to, to grow vegetables and so on. And then on the right-hand side, you can see some of the fruit of their labor with piles of peppers and onions and all sorts of things that they've, they've grown uh, and so on. Uh, and th there's really two benefits of that. The first is it's giving them access to fresh food. Uh, the second is it's actually allowing them to sell the access uh, at market and start to make some money. But the, the really interesting thing that, that we found is the impact that has on the status of women because now they are actually bringing something into the, into the community, into the families, uh, and it's really improving the equality between the sexes uh, in these villages, something that's really important, uh, and the role of women is becoming more and more uh, <coughs> important. Th this, this is a quote from uh, a lady called Elisa, uh, she's the leader of one of the women's committees in one of these villages. She says, all women are part of the market garden, and they appointed me as president of the women's group. Since we started the market garden, a lot of things have changed. Now, every woman is at the market garden and has access to water, and we're earning something for our family. Now I can pay school fees for my children with the help of the market garden. We've never stopped planting, and our lives have improved a lot. We have safe water in our houses and in the containers at the market garden for plants. Now the village is different. Having safe water, market garden, and latrines, I'd like to give a big thanks to the people who helped us. May God bless you. So that, that will be our prayer for what happens in the village where Emmanuel was, uh, and Isata, so asking for food, asking for school. Th this is the sort of thing that will happen into that village uh, as they start to take charge of their lives. And then if you go on to the, uh, the last, this is the last photo slide, this is the women's committee in one of the other villages. Um, and what, what you can see on here is that they're actually starting to take charge of the money that they're raising. They're, they're actually pooling the money together. They're, they're using it for the common good, uh, a bit like the church in Acts, actually. So they're, they're using the money that they're raising partly to uh, make sure their market garden is sustainable, to buy seeds and so on for the future, 
but they also use it to give out, give out loans so that if the women want to start their own business, they can get a loan from the money that's been raised by the committee uh, and they can actually have a flying start for their own business. And, and just one final point that really encourages us. We've, we'd, when Kingsley went back to uh, Guinea-Bissau recently, uh, we, we obviously weren't able to travel there at all during the pandemic. And so he was very interested to see what would have happened in the intervening two and a half years. And actually, many of the villages have used their savings to extend either the market gardens or even extend the water supply system. So from one of those header tanks that you saw on the slide earlier, they've actually run pipes out into far parts of the village. They've got taps and so on. So they're really starting to take charge and take ownership. It's really, really encouraging. So final slide, just back on the, the well-found thing, and I'll just make a, a few closing remarks. So, so hopefully that is a, a, just an encouraging example for you about how God can use the sacrifice, whether it's Howard, whether it's Joao, whether it's uh, Andrew, or whether it's yourselves, because you're giving money uh, towards this, and how God can actually use that uh, for the benefit of the people involved. I just want to give the, the final quote to, uh, to Joao, because I asked him a little while ago, so what's it like being a Christian and working for Wellfound? And, and this was what Joao said. He said, there's no way that you can hide your Christianity. You don't need to talk about it because people see you and recognize you as a Christian. As you go into the communities providing water, latrines, and sanitation, and talking about gender equality, we always mention God if we're asked. It's hard to do work in the villages without mentioning God and God's creation. So I think we're going to have a time of prayer now from Sue. Uh, and I would just encourage you in, in your prayers, do, thank you so much for your support, prayerfully and financially well found. But do pray for the people doing the work. I, I tried to show you some of the conditions they're working in, uh, and that's Joao's response to it. And do pray for people uh, that you saw on the video, people like Yema and Emmanuel and Isata. So thank you very much, and I'll hand over to Sue.